Let's pray together. Our Father, indeed, we are grateful for all the kindnesses that you have shown us in Christ Jesus. We are a people who have been bought with a price. We are a people who no longer own that which you have granted. We are only stewards. We are people who are described by the Apostle Paul as a bond slave. And, oh, God, how good it is to be a slave of Jesus Christ's. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we are, as we are gathered on this Sabbath, that you'll remind us who we are and whose we are. That you'll remind us that this is not about us. It's about you. And that we're spending three score in ten readying ourselves to spend an eternity with the one who bought us. The one who paid for our sin and has bought us, brought us into utter, glorious, everlasting liberty. We are a people who are in union with Jesus Christ because he lived the life that we should have lived and then died the death that we should have died. And because of who he is and what he's done, we are now sons and daughters of the living God. Help us, Father, to be reminded of what is, what is ours by possession as we are in Christ. Now, Father, take these gifts, use them for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and nothing else. We commit ourselves to that glorious goal of discipling the nations, baptizing them, and teaching them all that you have taught us to teach them. We commit ourselves to that and do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to the ninth chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. For those of you who don't know, Gracie Van is in the midst of her missions conference, and what you see behind you is a ministry that we support in Kiev, Ukraine. Actually, we support only one portion of it because it is multifaceted, uh, a scope of a ministry like you've never seen before. But the, the particular part that you as a church sponsor or are involved with financially is feeding widows. And um, this is uh, the outcome, just another outcome of the ministry of uh, Music Mission Kiev. You follow as I read, beginning at uh, verse 35. Of Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9 at verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. If you were not able to be with us uh, last Sunday morning, some of what I'm going to say this morning is going to sound a bit odd. 
because really my sermon today is just the second part, the second half of uh, the sermon that I began last week. We do have free tapes available. Um, I, I'm not trying to encourage you to get the tape because my sermon was so outstanding. But if you're a bit confused when you leave here today, uh, then we've got some tapes for you. And it'll, it'll be the first half of what you missed last week. And then perhaps you can connect the dots a, a little bit better after hearing what is really the second half of a sermon that I began last week. In light of a uh, plentiful harvest that Jesus mentions in Matthew 9, and in light of the few laborers in that plentiful harvest, I want to chart a course this morning, ladies and gentlemen, that will focus Gracie Van squarely on the accomplishment of the Great Commission, and at the same time, to try and challenge us as a congregation to learn more of what it means to live a life of faith. Keep those two goals in mind. You'll hear a lot about them. When Susie and I were in Hungary, uh, and for those of you who don't know, Susie and I spent 12 weeks uh, this past winter and spring in Budapest, Hungary. In fact, even visited Kiev, my friends in Kiev, these folks. In fact, went to their rehearsals and listened to them prepare some of this stuff. But um, we came back, or right before we left from Hungary, the question that people put to us on numerous occasions, uh, they kept asking us this, what was this all about? What did you learn? And my response was always the same. I would say, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Give me some time. I need, to, I need to sort some of this out. We got back to the States and ran into the same question. What was that about? What did you learn? What, 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 was, what, what was going on? And I answered them the same way. I don't know. I need some time to sort some of this out. Well, I've sorted it out. At least some of it. What was that all about? It was about this. It was about us. It was about Grace Evangelical Church. It was about our future as a church and where we're going. Two thoughts sprung to mind. Number one, we as a church have been in existence a little over 12 years. And you might have read my article in the Grace Update, but I said to you then, and it came out of one of these impressions, that is, that our infancy is over. We've spent 12 years building a very nice little nest for us. Our facilities are second to nobody's, except maybe Bellevue. Um, but we have wonderful facilities. So our days of infancy are over, ladies and gentlemen. And it's time now that um, we give ourselves to the accomplishment of the Great Commission. Now, notice I didn't say accomplishment of missions. Gang, don't make that leap. When I say it's time to accomplish the Great Commission, don't leap immediately to missions. Missions is one subset of a larger genus. We, um, well, I, I, maybe I shouldn't say, my dream, my dream is that God will transform us as a people. And if he does, 
if he sees fit to work a work of grace in his people's hearts, missions is going to flourish. But that's not the only thing. There's going to be lots of things that are going to be different. And lots of things that are going to benefit. Even your own individual walk with Jesus Christ. That was my first thought. Infancy's over for us, ladies and gentlemen. It's over. The second thought. One of the things that we tasted in Hungary in a way that... <laughs> in a way that I had never tasted, at least in a way and for a period of time that I had never tasted it before, was what it meant to live by faith. Now, lest you think that I'm some kind of super saint, let me clarify what I mean. Ladies and gentlemen, when you get everything stripped away from you, uh, Soren Kierkegaard called it the scaffolding of the soul. When the scaffolding of the soul gets taken away, you know, all that stuff that we are, is predictable, the known, you know, family, routine, job, soccer, mom, all that business. When that gets stripped away from you, when you don't even know how to use the phones, When all that stuff gets taken away from you, ladies and gentlemen, you're left with you and God. And I want you to know, it was utterly exhilarating. You know, I think many of you taste some of that when you go on one of our mission trips. You get a chance to taste what it's like to, to trust God for the unknown. And I'm not saying that's the only way that you can live by faith, ladies and gentlemen. I'm simply saying that's one of the ways that some of our people have tasted that. Well, what, I want, what I'm suggesting is simply this. We want to see if God won't allow us to taste a life of faith more frequently, more often, more fully, more uh, with, with greater um, uh, frequency without ever leaving this country. So over the past few months, ladies and gentlemen, since returning from Hungary, the Lord has formed in us a plan. We're calling it the Grace Venture. And hopefully, if God allows, what you are about to hear is going to do two things for us. First, it is going to call us to a life of faith. And secondly, it is going to engage us in every fiber of our existence in the accomplishment of the Great Commission. Now, I've got a few questions for you. How important... Do you think world evangelization is to God? How important is world evangelization to me? How important is world evangelization to you? Because we're about to find out. We're about to find out, ladies and gentlemen. What we sought to do in this grace venture thing 
And when I say we, what I mean is the, the eldership along with me, what we've sought to do in developing this grace venture is to challenge you with something that you that you'll be forced to ask yourself that question day in and day out. That is, how important is world evangelization to me? Now, here's another question for you. Um, a, A somewhat related question. Tell me, what are you doing right now that you cannot accomplish without some intervention from the Lord? Did you hear that? What are you doing right now that you cannot accomplish without some intervention? Let me ask it a little bit differently. What am I doing that I could not do apart from the power of God in my life? Did I hear nothing? Ladies and gentlemen, most of us live our lives within the narrow limits of what we can do in our own strength and ability. The Grace Venture will challenge you to do more than that. It is going to challenge you, ladies and gentlemen, to do something that unless God is in this, unless God is in this, we're going to fail. We as a church are going to fail unless God is in this. Let me begin with a couple of fundamentals, actually three fundamentals. Got to keep these in mind because of what you're about to hear. But um, three fundamentals. Number one, God never condemns those who have money ethically obtained. Uh, his concern is not that you that we have money. The concern is, what do we do with what we have? Guys, the whole teaching of Christianity is not that wealth is sin, but that wealth is a, is a, is a very great responsibility. Money is power. It, it's power to do good or it's power to do evil. But just because God has put money into our hands, it doesn't necessarily mean that he intends for it to stay there. So, guys, that's fundamental number one. Just because God has placed wealth within our hands, it doesn't necessarily mean that he intends for it to stay there. Here's fundamental number two. It seems in Old Testament and New Testament passages very clear that God has never mandated that the poor would be eliminated from uh, forever. That is, that the poor would, uh, that he mandates that we eliminate the poor. For instance, statements like Jesus is in Mark 14 where he says, um, the poor you will have with you always. There are numerous statements like that. There is one that I found on a wall in Guatemala. Uh, it was written in Spanish, and so I had to get it translated. But I came back to the States after I got back from Guatemala, and I, and I looked at, took a look at this text. It's in Deuteronomy 15. If you've got your Bibles, I would love for you to see it.
Deuteronomy 15. Here it is, verse 11. Deuteronomy 15, 11. For the poor will never cease from the land. There's my point. The poor will never cease from the land. Now read on. Therefore, because the poor will never cease from the land, I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Guys, um, God has not mandated that the poor be eliminated. What he has done is allow for the existence of the poor to be a test to the rest of us. That is, the existence of the poor is a test for the rest of us. That is, the non-poor, which would be all of you. The test is whether or not we'll respond rightly, that we would never oppose, that we would share, that we would, um, that we would not look down our noses, that we would not grow proud, that we would acknowledge God's ownership over everything, that we would open our hands. That's what the text says. It says, uh, they're, they're always going to be in the land. But I command you, I command you. Open your hand. Guys, life includes numerous tests. And for many, money is the greatest test of them all. There is a direct relationship between how we use money and the quality of our spiritual lives. You know, there's an interesting statement by Jesus in Luke 16. Jesus says in Luke 16... If you have been faithful in the, excuse me, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, then who's going to commit any true riches to you? Now, ladies and gentlemen, based on how you handle mammon today, Are you in the position that God could give you true riches? Because that's what the text says. Guys, here's the second fundamental. The Christian ethic is a radical generosity to the poor. The the Bible is full of statements. If you you, um, lend to the poor, you lend to the Lord. If you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. All, all those things. The Christian ethic is a radical generosity to the poor. That's number two. Here's number three. Fundamental. Economic life in a fallen world is very complex. And because it is, we are going to load you down with grace. No guilt, no questions, no cards, no scorekeeping, just a BHAG. You know what a BHAG is? The title of my sermon is BHAG. A BHAG is a big, hairy, audacious goal. It's very complex living, ladies and gentlemen. I understand that. 
So we're going to load you down with grace, and then we're going to challenge you to a big, hairy, audacious goal. Now, in view of all that, here's what we want to propose. For the foreseeable future, and hopefully until Jesus comes again, we want to challenge you with what is known as the grace venture. Do we have it for the screens? We do not have it for the screens. Oh, yes, we do. It's in one of those computers back there somewhere, but um, we'll, um, we'll have to find it this second service. It's under announcements, Richard. I know it's uh, in there somewhere because it's... But uh, I was trying to flash it up there for you, but you're just, I've got it here in my car. But you just have to... You, got, you found it? Oh, somebody found it. <laughs> Let's just move... What, what I'm saying is, here's what we're... Here's the big hair. Here's, here's the hag. All right? Stay with me. First of all, what we want to do, ladies and gentlemen, is focus our church on the accomplishment of the Great Commission by challenging you to excel in giving. There it is. Can you read it from way back there? No. Uh, well, um, let me just read it and then you can follow along. But um, we want to challenge us as a church to begin to focus ourselves on the accomplishment of the Great Commission by challenging you to excel in giving. Now, guys, here's some premises that go into that. Not promises, but premises. Number one, we are not asking you to pray for more income. Guys, we don't need any more income. We got plenty of income. We're not asking you to pray for more income. We're asking you to pray for the faith with which you might develop a giving heart. Secondly, God does not promise to make generous Christians wealthy. He promises to make generous Christians capable of even greater generosity. And then thirdly, the primary way of excelling is not asking for more income. Oh, yes, God, if you give me $50,000, I will give you 5000 of it. No. The primary way of excelling, ladies and gentlemen, is through greater sacrifice, for which we have been made willing By asking God for a heart that trusts Him. And the more that that is true of us, ladies and gentlemen, the the size of the checks becomes irrelevant. So guys, here's what we want to do. In the year of 2004, now that's, we've still got to close the books on the Look campaign um, at the end of this year. But starting January 1, we want to generate a half a million dollars to be managed by a newly appointed Grace Venture Committee. And then call this congregation to a lifestyle adjustment And sanctified creativity so that we can give more sacrificially. That is putting a a, a brakes on impulse spending and living more simply. Gang, our prayer is that this project will result in more living by faith, focusing us to, to a daily walk with God that is bathed in prayer and allows us to become partners in kingdom construction. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. That's the grace venture. Now, guys, I want to spend the rest of my time, which is not much. I want to answer some questions, Um, maybe a lot of questions, but um, I want to try and make this clear or as clear as I can make it. First of all, 
Some of you are sitting out there saying, Jimmy, I thought you said you never wanted to raise money again. I did say that. And I meant it. I still mean it. But surely, ladies and gentlemen, surely you can see the difference in raising money for the accomplishment of the Great Commission versus raising money to build a building. Those are two different animals, at least in my mind. And so to do this is my joy. To raise money for more buildings, that would probably push me over the edge. Secondly, listen, 100%, not 99%, 100% of this money is going to be given away. It's going to go towards the accomplishment of the Great Commission. And the projects that, are, that, are, that receive it each year will be determined by the Grace Venture Committee along with the consultation with the eldership. Guys, we want to give a half a million dollars away. Away. In addition, we plan to continue our budgeted giving to give it also away. We're not going to eliminate that. So, what that means is that in each calendar year, or if the Lord wills and the Lord allows, in the year 2004, we'll give away upwards of $800,000. For the accomplishment of the Great Commission. Each year, Jimmy? That's what I said. We hope it's $500,000 this year, and we hope it's more the next. What we're trying to do, ladies and gentlemen, is establish a culture. A culture. A culture change at Gracie Band. Gang, my dream is that when people start thinking, you know, I wonder if I want to go visit Gracie Evangelical Church. People will say, oh, no, you don't want to visit over there. Oh, no. Not unless you're serious about living by faith and the accomplishment of the Great Commission. Don't go to that church. But if you are serious about living by faith and accomplishing the Great Commission, that would be the place for you. We want a culture change, ladies and gentlemen, where all of us are thinking along the same patterns. That is, I want to walk by faith and I want to focus my attentions on the Great Commission. Fourth, what is success? The, uh, the raising of $500,000? No. Listen, listen to me. Gang, there is a sense in which setting this $500,000 goal is very dangerous. Why? Because it draws your heart to the external. It's as if, oh, we've raised $500,000, therefore we're very spiritual people. No, no. Gang. $500,000 is a guess. It's for budgeting and planning. What if we raise only 200000 I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm going to be celebrating. I'm going to be celebrating that Gracie Van families are learning more and more what it means to live by faith and to live sacrificially. The financial goal is not the issue. The issue is the transformation of our hearts. Number five, all grace venture giving is to be an addition to our normal giving. Gang, we're not asking you to give from income. We're asking you to give out of assets. Which is going to mean several things for, it's going to be different things for different people. Let, let me tell you a story. This is a true story about a Christian couple um, uh, that moved out of the city 
went to another city, a larger city than Memphis. They contacted a real estate agent and they uh, wanted to buy a house. The real estate agent asked this question. The, uh, they asked the couple, what is your take-home pay? And so the real estate agent took the take-home pay and, and did all the little figurings and, and said, okay, you can afford a house in this range. So they went out and they purchased a house in that range. It wasn't 90 days before this young little Christian couple realized, oh my goodness, what have we done? We can't give away money. We can't give away 10% of our income and additional giving is out of the question. Here's one of the problems, ladies and gentlemen. The world assumes that you and I have a mentality. And that mentality is that we deserve and we want to spend all of our money on ourselves. And then it encourages you to live out to the margins. Kingdom people just can't live like that. I want that to be over for me. And I hope it will be over for you as well. Gang, it means what we're asking you to do is to avoid a consumptive lifestyle. And by faith, we commit to God to live more simply. I want to read you something that I found. This, this came out of a Congress on Evangelism that took place in 1980 in Lausanne, Switzerland. All the great evangelists in the world were invited to Lausanne. I, by the way, was not invited. But um, uh, it was invited to come to Lausanne, Switzerland for this Congress on Evangelism. It was, uh, the invitations went out from Billy Graham, and Billy Graham doesn't know I exist. But um, um, uh, this is the statement, at least a portion of the statement, that came out of that Congress on Evangelism. Listen to this. While some of us are called to live among the poor, and others to open our homes to the needy, all of us are determined to, de to develop a simpler lifestyle. We intend to re-examine our income and expenditure in order to manage on less and give away more. This is a very important sentence. We lay down no rules or regulations for either ourselves or others. Listen to that. We're going to come back to it again and again. We lay down no rules or regulations for either ourselves or others. Yet we resolve to renounce waste and oppose extravagance in personal living, clothing, housing, travel, and church buildings. We also accept the distinctions between necessities and luxuries, between celebrations and normal routine, between service to God and slavery to fashion. Where to draw the lines requires conscientious thought and decision by us together with members of our family. And may I add, and them only. Ladies and gentlemen, let me read that sentence to you again. We lay down no rules, no regulations for either ourselves or others. None of this business about, you bought what kind of car? You went where for your vacation? You paid how much for that dress? Ladies and gentlemen, you need my approval for absolutely nothing. Nor do I need yours. But here's what we do need. We need permission from heaven. Go ask him. Because ladies and gentlemen, 
This is a very complex thing we're about to do. And so we're going to load you down with grace. No scorecards. No questions. No answers. No guilt. We're just going to all go to God and find out if there's anything he would have us do differently. Gang, we have to free our minds from this math-centered stewardship. The proper use of all of the Lord's favor. The proper use of all of the Lord's favor is to share it with others. Gang, to follow Jesus Christ, we're going to have to give up this commitment to comfort as the ultimate value of our lives. And that's going to mean different things for different people. Number six, generosity comes from the ability to trust God. The opposite of generosity is not stingy. The opposite of generosity is fear. Gang, we hoard possessions because we're so afraid that that you'll be insecure or bored if I don't have a whole lot of stuff. Gang, if you will look at most of your sin and mine, underneath it, you will find fear. Gang, my hope is that this Grace Venture thing will start with money. And then it will end up with you. This, this venture forces us to go to God. It forces us to face Him. It forces us to make our requests of Him. Tell me, what could be bad about that? We want to stimulate a life of faith so that everything that we do, we come and have it scrutinized. Not by each other, but by the Lord God Himself. The details of your response will be between you and God. We, there's no nothings. There's no pledges. There's no cards. There's no, there's no nothing. Because we want you to face Him, not the bank treasurer or whatever, or the church treasurer. Gang, we are not going to use guilt to motivate anybody. Guilt will never sustain generosity. What you end up doing if you use guilt is that you just give enough to assuage your guilt. What do I have to do to meet the minimums? Or have I given enough? Gang, get rid of that. Go chase after your heavenly father. Go ask him. Go ask him what you're supposed to drive and where you're supposed to live and how you're supposed to eat and what you're supposed to wear. Go ask him what could be bad about that. Gang, when we learn to trust this God of ours, tithing will be irrelevant. And by the way, I cannot promise you that you won't run into some unexpected expenses. Very frankly, if I was going to promise something, I would promise you will. Number seven, how much of our wealth should we give away? More. Gang, do you remember the movie several years back with Richard Dreyfuss and uh, Bill Murray? And uh, uh, what about Bob? And Richard Dreyfuss was the psychiatrist that had written this book, and he was making a fortune on his book, et cetera, et cetera. You remember the title of the book? 
baby steps. Well, guys, maybe what we need to think about is making baby steps towards more sacrificial living. But, guys, it must be enough. Whatever our baby step is, it must be enough to encourage faith's exercise, which means a variety of responses for different people. How much did you give away? I don't know. More. Eighth. Gang, here's my dream. Is that the Great Commission will become a way of life for us. Here's how I, here's, here's what I'm thinking. Let's imagine that tomorrow you go out and buy $500,000 worth of Procter & Gamble stock. Half a million dollars worth of P&G stock. You bought it tomorrow. On Tuesday morning, the paper comes. Where will you be looking first? Do you think that you will have more interest in the performance of Procter & Gamble stock? I bet you will. Well, gang, here's what I'm thinking. If we begin to invest in the accomplishment of the Great Commission, maybe our interest level will rise as we make more and more and more investment in it. Gang, I didn't write this, but Jesus said it. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Gang, do you wish that you cared more about eternal things? Here's one way. Reallocate your monies. If you are not purposefully and generously investing in the kingdom of God, I promise you, it's because your heart is not in it. So, let's pray and take baby steps. Ninth, and this is my last one. Gang, gang, um, giving is the only antidote that I know of against materialism. Which I think you would agree is a problem among us. The act of giving is a vivid reminder that this is not about us. It's about the Lord God Almighty to strangle materialism, I think, would make us a much more beautiful people. Oh, Jimmy, that's foolish what you're saying up there. It may be. But it's not the first foolish thing we've ever done with our money, is it? You know, ladies and gentlemen, one of my heroes is a guy by the name of Frank Barker. And he said to us as seminary students, this was 30 years ago, he said, the man who will accomplish the most in the ministry is the man who is willing to fail the most. I can't speak for you. But I'm willing. And unless God is in this, we will fail. You know, guys, everybody in the scripture who said yes to Jesus Christ had a high price to pay. And so will you. And so will I. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. 
But now here is the new motto for Gracie Van. The new motto for the Grace Venture. (laughs) Nothing ventured. Nothing gained. Tell you one story and I'm finished. It's a story, a true story out of the life of Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great was, uh, uh, well, one of his soldiers was told that he could have anything that he wanted because he had displayed such valor in battle. And so the soldier asked for a sum so exorbitant that the treasurer would not give him the money until he had checked with Alexander the Great. So the treasurer goes to Alexander the Great and tells him what the soldier has requested. And Alexander the Great smiles and he said, It is true. It is, uh, he has asked, It is very much for Alexander, for him to, it is very much for him to ask. But it is not very much for Alexander to give. Give him everything he asked. I admire his faith in me. My brother and sister in Christ, you remember that story. Because in the months to come, some of you are going to share the same story. You're going to stand up here and you're going to say, I asked God for It might be much for us to ask, ladies and gentlemen. But it is not much for our God to give. What was hungry about? It's about this. Our Father, I do pray that you will work this into the hearts and lives of your people, not because I believe it, but because I hope it is reflective of who you are and your, your character and your will. And I pray, Father, that people will endorse it, they'll claim it, they'll own it as their own. Because you are its author. We commit ourselves to it, Lord God, somewhat in trepidation. But we pray that you will use us to advance the kingdom of Christ. And build a heart of faith in us. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.